Hey, it's Real Church Matters. I'm Forrest Hall. I'm here with Minister Sylvia Hall. <laughs> or mom. You can say or mom. You can say all of that. That's my mama. <laughs> uh, we're here at Real Church Matters where we talk Real Church Matters, Mom, because Real Church Matters. I always say it. That's a good say. That's a good say. Because <laughs> it really does matter. It does matter. So just a little housekeeping first. You guys can go to realchurchmatters.com and it'll take you to all the episodes and the show notes. You can listen on iTunes using the podcast app as well. Or you can go to SoundCloud and you can search Real Church Matters there. Like us, share us, subscribe to us. You can write a review. You can send a comment. You can email us at askme at realchurchmatters.com. Just continue to spread the word, amplify the signal. That's the goal. It's been the goal for two years. will continue to be the goal. As always, it's obedience over audience. You can also go to Go Do Likewise, where one of our co-contributors to this podcast, Antoinette Allen, continues to write wonderful blogs. She just shared a little bit um, about her birthday. So she said a few things to do before you turn 28. She talked about forgiving people, the beauty that we should focus on. She talked about uh, a ton of stuff. All things I wish I knew when I was 28. <laughs> I would have benefited a lot from why I wish I lived it in 28. But um, th- that's an awesome blog to go to. Also, if you would like to give or donate, you can always do that at patreon.com forward slash Real Church Matters. Give a dollar or more and you'll get access to a little more matters where we take the conversation a little further beyond the hour of the podcast. Also, if you give $10 or more, we get, you'll get a t-shirt and you get exclusive uh, access to things like my album when it comes out for free and a bunch of other cool things we're planning and uh, hopefully we'll get to you guys soon. Appreciate you. Let's get into the episode. Now, this episode, like I said, I have Sylvia Hall, my mother, she's the minister at our church as well. Um, not that I need to give your credentials, but <laughs> <laughs> I have you on this episode uh, to talk about parenting. Parenting. Yes. Talk about parenting. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm probably a little biased in, in saying that, you know, I think you're the best mother in the world. And, you know, everybody probably feel that way. But I guess the reasons I feel that way have changed over the years. I think the awesome thing about being a parent is that I never would have felt comfortable talking about parenting (laughs) while I was parenting. (laughs) Because I recognized that every single day was the unknown. Yeah. Because... um, a parent doesn't a parent doesn't parent from themselves and if they do it's evident yeah the struggle is hard um trying to do it from yourself cuz i tried it from the beginning yeah. I, well didn't didn't come into this world saved and well let's start let's start there though let's start at the beginning at the beginning cuz I, I haven't really shared a lot about oh. my life or anything well, um, so you can start from the beginning, I guess, because there's so much and one day you'll tell your yes. story. It, it's probably best to, let's say, let's start from when, um, when, when you I had, first became a mother. When you first became a mother. 
Yes. I first became a mother at the age of 16. And um, I came from a family of 10. And I was more or less, I guess you could call it the middle child. I was number five of 10. So I, um, I guess I'll call myself the middle child. And I got pregnant at 16. And my parents at the time were I can say I was raised morally good. Mm -hmm. Um, They gave you all the standard do not do's. And there was a big chain link fence around our house. And that fence for me represented so much of my childhood. It reminded me that there was that fence was there to keep me in as well as to keep others out. And so I we weren't a safe family, like I said, just a, a morally good family with a whole lot of struggle, a whole lot of problems. And now that I'm delivered and I have actually lived in a family, my own, um, and God has been the head of that family, I recognized um, how, um, I don't, how, how parenting in the natural is actually ingredients for for disaster. Yeah. And one of the things that I think about when I think of parents is, and what kind of elicits a, a, a bit of anxiety to me when I think about me possibly being a parent, is the fact that your choices are so directly connected to the well-being of others on many different levels. Yeah. Not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, physiologically. Yeah, that 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 in itself is 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 mind blowing. Yeah. And for me at 16 years old, it was more than mind blowing. <laughs> and yet, um, you know, my parents had set it up so that I could just walk away from the hospital. And my daughter was was supposed to be adopted by someone else and something within me wouldn't allow that to happen. And, um, I, I wouldn't sign any papers and still I walked away from the hospital without my daughter because I still was my, my parents' child and they wanted to finish their parenting and they refused to take my daughter in. And so my daughter went into the system and, um, and, and where were, where were we at at this point? Just the setting. Um, we were in Pennsylvania. 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 And um, small town. And I just was moved to another small town, 20 miles outside of, of the Aliquippa, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And this was really, for me, the first time that I encountered someone saying that God loved me. And it made it... Uh, impact in my life because the program that I was put into was called Alternatives to Abortion through the Catholic Church. I don't even know if it exists still, but I went into that program and I I was able to have foster parents. Um, my parents had to sign temporary guardianship over of me while I went through the process of being pregnant. I was put into another high school. I was in the 11th grade. Um, and for all intents and purposes, I had a whole nother life. You know, I, my family was, was Caucasian 
and um, <laughs> I was the only I was the only black face for for about twenty miles, <laughs> and so um, it was a culture shock for me as well as it was the first time I ever was away from home. Uh. I ever spent a night away from home, but yet there was something about being a mother, and when I sat with the priest who just was there just to talk to me and tell me that um, all the transition in my life and everything that God will, God love me. Mm. And it was a profound statement. He didn't say much more than that. And he um, told me, I'm here for you. I'm here for your child. But he said, God is always, going to be there for you and for your child, regardless of whether you go back home or whether you stay here. Wherever you go in life, God's going to be there because he loves you. And that impacted my life. And um, although I was afraid, you know, and I looked at my daughter who was three pounds, 13 ounces, (laughs) and I didn't get to see her after birth, and I didn't see her for the first time. And you didn't name her. Um, I didn't name her. I didn't have that opportunity. And and uh, I think it was about six days after she was born that, you know, I had a social worker at that time. And everything started moving really fast when I refused to sign the papers. Right. Um, nobody had ever heard of suing your parents. You know, that came later on. I think it was in the 80s or 90s that... Yeah. That... That, um, that somebody sued their parents. Set the precedent. Yeah, yeah, set the precedent. Well, there was no precedence for it. And I actually said, no, I won't sign the papers. And at that time, I was in direct defiance of my parents. And, of course, the Bible says to honor your parents. <laughs> That's I, I didn't know a whole lot of scriptures out of the Bible. Yeah. But I did know that one. Because my parents, that's one of the scriptures that they would say, honor your mother and your father. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a favorite. Yes. It's and a, so that honor, I didn't know anything about. Right. And I felt that what I said, I felt that me getting pregnant brought dishonor to my parents. Um, and and I felt guilty about that. I yeah. felt that that dishonor, I couldn't fix. I couldn't fix it by... Um, Shipping the baby off to someone else to raise. Yeah. I couldn't fix it. I, there, there was no fix-all for that situation. Well, this is a good place to, to kind of take a detour for a second because there are people who, um, who struggle with that but still have the reality that there's a baby that, if you're going to keep it, needs a mother who isn't laden with shame and regret. Right. And doesn't need to feel the weight of that like you feel it in you. So how did you navigate that? Um, I can honestly say that that I didn't navigate it. I immediately um recognize that's why I, I tell people that a lot of people say God doesn't hear anything from a sinner but the sinner's prayer. And I don't know what the sinner's prayer actually sounds like because <laughs> Because sound like a center praying. Yes, (laughs) because from that point, God was ever present with me. I mean, I I actually, I actually could hear Him. I had courage to do things that, in my natural, I couldn't have done. 
um, even to say, no, I'm not going to sign this paper. I would have did. I would have signed it just to make my parents happy, to be honest with you. Because that's the type of kid because you Because that's, that's the type of kid I was. I wanted to please my parents. And, you know, it, it scared me that I said no. And so I kept going back to the source. Yeah. I kept going back to God. I kept asking him every step of the way. Okay, what do I do now? Now that I said, now that I said no, well, how am I going to be a parent? How am I going to be able to do this? And you know, my 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 social worker began to tell me all the things that I had to become in order to get my child from the state. Mm-hmm. I first of all I had to be able to prove that I could. Uh, have the monetary means. Right. I had to have a place to live for my child. So she dealt with the physical. And that's all she dealt with. She didn't deal with the emotional part. And she didn't deal with the spiritual part of being a mother. But one thing that, that actually came alive to me was I desired to be a parent. I didn't desire to be a mother. That was just something that happened because I had sex. <laughs> right. I, but I desired to be a parent to my child. More than anything, I would hear a child cry. And I'd start praying, Lord, I, I just want to take care of my child. I don't know whether or not that's my child crying. So I just want to care for my child. So there was that shift where you, you felt like, some, well, not just something, but there was a shift in your thinking to, I don't even know how I got into this situation to now that I'm here, I just want to be a mother. I just want to be a I just want to be a mother. And I recognized I couldn't please my parents by doing that. And I also recognized that for some reason, I believed what that priest said. That God was not only he loved me, but he loved my child. And so I felt just from that, that it was an invitation for me to rely on God to do these things because he made up the mother-child relationship. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't invent it. And, and I realized something. If I signed that paper, I still was going to be that child's mother. And it's interesting because people get into places and situations where they feel they're very aware of the hopelessness of their situation, but it doesn't lead them to hope in God. Yeah. That's because the word. Because that's what it looks like it did to you. Yes. The way you responded to the fact that I am a 16 year old. I'm in a situation where I don't have my parents support. I'm alone. Yes. Um, and I think that I was put in in a, in that position, but I really do thank God. That's why I, I, I don't too much care for, I don't too much care for um, um, people putting, putting labels on ch- different churches because um, all the priest said was God loves you. And that was enough. That was enough to enact that faith in yeah. me. And for them because, to be there and support you at the at, at that moment. 
Yes. I mean, the religious affiliation of denominations didn't matter. It didn't matter. You had people who allowed themselves to be used. To be used. And and, and also, I was thrusted. And I, I think that this is one of the problems that, that we as a people, I think everybody has to be taken out of their norm. And sometimes, um, and God goes to great lengths, I think, with, with us to put us in positions where we have nothing else to rely on, yeah. nothing to grasp hold of. In order to find yourself in a place to even put your hope in God, yes, you have to be in a hopeless place. place. And nobody wants to go to the hopeless no, place. No, absolutely not. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> but I found it. But we every, find ourselves there. Yes. We find ourselves there with, with the best intentions. You weren't uh, a, a typical 16-year-old in the sense that you weren't running the streets. No, no, I wasn't running the streets and I didn't have my my present day husband is is Suzanne's father. And we were best friends. Since kindergarten. Kindergarten. <laughs> Since kindergarten. And um I I really do believe that that it's in in that place that I didn't even know. To be honest with you, you can live in hopeless for a long time and not know that you're hopeless. Because <laughs> I lived in hopeless. But and, this was like, and, this situation kind of, <laughs> it was heightened it in was its heightened. hopelessness. It was heightened in its yeah. hopelessness. But also, it actually propelled me out of the place of just being okay, okay. or numb. Or numb to, to, hopeless. to hopelessness. Because all of a sudden, I'm in a whole different environment. And there's there's somebody else who doesn't, who you care about now. Yeah. Who doesn't actually benefit from you being numb. From me being numb. Because um, I lived a life of numbness. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, I think that that sums it up. Yeah. That actually sums it up because the first real feelings or... Or what I can say is, yes, the first real feelings wow. that I had were because of my child. Your child. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful that, and it brought me to a point of feeling pain. Yeah. But, but it's still but, feeling. <laughs> but it was feeling. Yeah. And then not only that, but it seemed like the pain engaged me with God. Yeah. It just was. It's, it's and, and to just give context, um, a lot of that numbness that you felt came from, like you said, being used to just a hopeless situation. A hopeless situation. And to give it another word, without going too deep into it, uh, you grew up in a environment that had a lot of trauma there. And yeah, dysfunction. Dysfunction and trauma, even if it's secondhand. Yeah. It's still, to be exposed to certain things creates a trauma. Yeah. And we the way we respond to trauma a lot of times is out of desensitizing ourselves, numbing ourselves. I like to put it like this, and I, and I use it when I run into people. Right, right. I start looking at people, and everybody talks about when you go to battle, and everybody's coming back with... Uh, what is it called? The, the battle scars. Battle scars. But the they actually um, have have 
pegged a disease where oh PTSD P- PTSD absolutely and um I said you know living in a family post traumatic stress syndrome yes I Disorder. recognized that that families have raised children in environments that give them PTSD yes yeah. and produce for them a lifetime. Of anxiety and pain, yeah, certain smells, and you know, because I was listening to a soldier tell me this, yeah, and she was telling me that certain smells actually whirl her back, and I said, oh, that's that's the same way, you know. There's certain things I won't eat yeah. because it, you know, it, the smell of it takes me back to a place where something traumatic happened, yeah, or certain things people say, yes, or the the way that they treat you. That reminds you, because I, I I actually had a situation where I was working and I one of my bosses said something to me exactly the way my father would. Yes. And it immediately caused me to respond like a child. Yep. Like yes. I felt that anxiety like a child, all of this. Now I'm a whole grown man. But those, the, you get what I'm saying? Those yes. things. Now, now this takes us back to parenting. Because when I recognize that this is how this is how I can have compassion on my parents is I recognize that being raised in traumatic situations causes you to have PTSD. And then you, in turn, when you are thrusted in the situation of parenting, this often brings out that same response. And and you always tell me. One of my first words was a cuss word. Was a cuss word. And then you was like, you didn't learn that from your father. You learned it from me. Yes, because (laughs) it was in me. It was in me. That was my first language. Second language was English. (laughs) But my first language was was the language of pain. And I, I recognized that it was the language of pain. Yeah. You know, even though people shoot it around and they say oh that's a term of endearment you know and I don't mean it in that way no it's the language of pain the way I express myself and and all they're doing is expressing pain that was handed down dysfunction dysfunction that's it instead of your name being whatever they decided to name you your name something else this only has four letters yeah so So. the level of comfortability that we get with things that are dysfunctional is what Causes us to malfunction. It causes you to malfunction. But but the way that the church can engage people like that, because, and I'm not saying to make them robots, but how do we engage people that have that? Yeah. And how do they become parents, valid parents, that can raise children and produce in them what God would have them to? Now, you know? Now, we're gonna we're gonna tease it a little bit because I do want you to bring it a little bit more up to present day. Yes. So so you started off in you you're 16. You had Suzanne. Yes. My oldest sister. Yes. And next thing you know, you go from a, a mother, single mother at the time. Yes. 16, one child. She's not in your possession. In Pennsylvania, no job. Still in, no job, still, still in high, in high school, school. To fast forward to 2018. Yes. And you have seven children. Seven children. You're yeah. 57 years old? 
57. I'll be 58 in a little while. Yeah, you're 57 years old. Seven children. They're all grown. They got children of their own. Mm-hmm. You're not in Pennsylvania anymore. You're in Maryland. And this, God has brought you all of this way. And and guess what? I'm addicted. I think it's 40 years. Well, yes, we, did, we just spanned 40, 40 years. 40 years. And you know what? I'm addicted because <laughs> wait, 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 I'm addicted? <laughs> addicted to, I am, I'm addicted to his leading and guiding. I'm so it's addi- 40 years of, of parenting. Of parenting. Of parenting. And I, I just wanted to let people the, know because that I, I'm not just having you on here because you're my mother, but the, I, I've run across so many people as a minister and just as a, a person, a people who are a year in, two years in, who had just found out they're pregnant. And are overwhelmed at situations and how they will rise to the occasion. And somebody who is just just in the same positions they are, yeah. who will by all equivocations be considered as a statistic. Yes. Forty years later, you 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 look nothing like that. You smell nothing like you know what I'm saying? Yes. The 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 markings of a teenage mother wouldn't be seen on you. And when you tell people your story, they're always surprised. They're always surprised. Um they they comment. It is it is what God has used in my life to engage people, to engage people with God. Yeah. I you know, I find it that I've walked into offices of people and they look nothing like who I am. Yeah. And God would say just tell them and I found that there's so much in common, no matter what, no matter what stage of life they're at. Yeah. But but because I have gone to a place where they actually can't see on the outside, they can't see any remnants of that place. Where, where all you've gone through and been through, and how you got to that point. Yeah. So there's a few things that are popping in my head that I want to ask on behalf of them. Yes. Because you have this 40-year yes, of yes. parenting. Just yeah, all... too bad we can't have call-ins. No, I wish. I wish. <laughs> I, we'll do this again. I, it would be nice to have call-ins. But one of the things that, that always comes up is being a Christian parent, how do I raise my child in the admonition of the Lord? This is words that's always say, yes. or some people say, admonition of the Lord. <laughs> but people want to know; they want to know how to raise their children without, as people are worried about, especially the new millennial hip parents. They don't want to tell them how to think, right? And they don't want to shelter them. That's another right, thing that comes right. up, and they don't want to put a unneeded pressure on or emphasis on church. And then other things suffer, yes. like education. Yes. Why should I bring my child on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night if they they need to get to bed for school and wake up bright and early and so they can get their education? I have opinions on it, but you share because I'm um, I'm not a parent. You, you I know how you move and in what you might be able to share. I think that that um, what I I. I have to take a, a a step back and look at it and say that um, a lot of people think 
you're doing all that stuff. You're you're providing. Uh, uh, you're taking them to church. You're providing. You have to choose between sports and this, and you're and that's a heavy weight to put on anyone. That's right. Um, but what God um, made so simple for me was, He said, "They're to live in the shadow of your relationship with Me. They're to see it. They're to encounter Me." through the relationship you have with me. And so that's how that became such a light burden for me. Yeah. Because um, one of the things that that I sit and I'm amazed at myself is that um, in all of the church that I attended with, with all my kids in tow, and all of, they still had everything from art classes, each one was able to show what their interest was. They were exposed to these things. And were allowed to explore. And were allowed to explore. Um, many of them spent uh, nights away from home on different trips that would give them a vast um, understanding of who God is. And I'm not talking about church trips. I'm talking about being able to see what God created. And now. Uh, and and to be able to develop what's in them, yeah, to be a viable part of society, and to allow God to be seen, yeah. not only for that present day, because it was a nurturing time, but it was for the days to come. That's why He says in the shadow of, yeah. because you know, it's not you still there got right a, now. You got a lot of things to do. Yeah. But there's something that should be above it all. Yes, it should be him. And should always be in the spectrum. You yes. know what I'm saying? That's why it's, it's, when we talk about being in the shadow, a lot of p- times people will think that, uh, you know, that means that I'm always thinking about God. No. But that, that's not, it's, it's that I'm, no matter what I do, I'm always aware of God and thinking about God all the time and being aware of God all the time. Are two, two different, different things. things because what you're talking about is something natural. And then there, it, but the easy thing um, that God used for me, because my biggest teacher was the Holy spirit because I'd ask questions. I'm like, what does that? I asked that. What does that mean? God. Mm. And when I was a kid, I used to play with my shadow. I was a weird kid like that. Yeah. I used to spend half an hour, hour in the sun. When it would come down, it would show Sylvia. And at a certain angle, Sylvia would, that shadow would be so large, so big. And I would play with it, you know, move and move and yeah. move around. And God just took me back to that. And he said, you notice how you would get such enjoyment out of playing with that shadow. But he said, you never understood. And I didn't comprehend it as a kid. It was the angle of the sun that would cause that shadow to grow. But no matter where I went, it was still with me. That's how God explained that to me so that I could understand it. Mm. He said, see, your relationship with me, if you allow me to have a relationship with you, he said, your children will grow up in that shadow of that relationship. And he said, no matter where they move, yeah. Or go, he said. As long as you have that relationship with me, he said they're in that shadow. Yeah, he said because that's, that was his way. And that's the the key thing is that when you look at it as a hierarchy, yeah, like 
who's above my mother? God. God. How did I know that? Because she operated in that hierarchy. I operated. Who's above me? My mother. Yeah. How do I know that? Because she operated in that hierarchy. She made sure that I knew that she was boss, but she also showed me she had a boss. Yes. And I didn't say scary things like uh, (laughs) go and and what's God telling you? Yeah. (laughs) You know, what is God telling you? Because that's not what God put me there for. My job was to deliver the message. Whatever that message might be. Now, that conversation did shift. Yeah. Once we was adults. Yes. And you said it, you, it shifts. And it you're shifts. Like, I can't tell you. Well, I immediately <laughs> said that I'm done parenting. Yeah. Because I got my walking papers from God. And that was, you know, but you, I but posted it. The parent, <laughs> but the parenting uh, changed. Changed. Because it's still a, a level of parenting there. It's like... I, I'm responsible for you now. I'm I'm not going to make the decision for you. Yes. But I am making you aware that there's a decision to be made. To be made. And when you look at the prodigal son yeah. and how his father dealt with him. Yeah. His father did not tell him what was what he sh- was going to do. He told him what he should do. Yeah. And and I think that it does shift from parenting because um it's actually more a brother sister in Christ. And uh, or a uh, I'll say a at this point, a a mentor or a teacher or something like that. But it's not the parenting thing. And I I take that away because because um, many, many children have an allegiance. They they become full of allegiance to parents, to the position. And And they fail to. Have that relationship with God, but I think it comes from the the ministry of parenting. When yes. You look at it as a ministry of parenting, and then you look at books like Titus. Yeah, and he's saying older women do this yeah. to the younger women. Older men do this to the younger yeah. men. It becomes like they shift this thing. It wasn't even about parents anymore. Yeah, it was about ministry. It was about ministry. This, these may be your children, or you might not have no children. But there is a ministry to the older, raising up the younger yes. and yes. teaching them. And what that means, I just saw the transition. Yes, of yes. parenting to the ministry of parenting. And I think that God kind of. Which which surprised me. He kind of weaved it into my life because there Absolutely. were many kids that he sent in, children, that weren't my natural biological children. Yeah. You and, had seven. And then, you know, we got so many people <laughs> who are just connected to us. Um, and one before we get too far ahead, one of the things that you said that, that, that really stuck out to me and I think will be helpful is you said the burden of choices that is laid on a parent is freed by just making one choice. That's right. Making one choice. And, you know, sometimes, and, and I explain the backside of that, right. is that as a human being, there, there are a lot of times when, when I would come away from delivering the news to my child <laughs> that you're not going to be able to do that. And... Because it wasn't my news, I I didn't make the decision. I prayed, talked to God, and this is what he said. He said, no, don't do that. 
And even though I would like it, like to do it, because I would have liked to be more accepted by my peers, because as a parent, you have peers that are parenting also. Right. And I would have liked to be more accepted by my peers. I'm not going to lie. Because they look at you as <laughs> you sheltered your children. Yes, they, but I don't know how that was accomplished. Yeah. We lived we lived in the middle of Baltimore City. Smack dab in the middle. Smack dab in the middle. And in we didn't <laughs> we did not come there, you know, uh, it is something that we were discussed this that's why I was so so happy uh to just hurry up run down here and do it because we were out at um getting something to eat and dad just decided to talk about our our many times that we as parents being in our 20s found ourselves financially bankrupt not being able to provide mm-hmm. for our children but yet God providing for them how we had to humble ourselves and God would say, ask this person, and we would ask, can we come, can we stay at your house? Because we don't have a place to stay. And we took all of our children, and all of our children were old enough to understand that we're homeless. And so um, that period, where, which, no, Baltimore City was not in our eyesight to go from living in a place called Aliquippa yeah. <laughs> with a population of, I guess right now, about 3,000 people, yeah. and um, where your average crime, which would happen maybe once at the end of the summer, somebody would beat their wife, you know, it, or or somebody would throw pop bottles um, in a nearby store. I mean, this was your average crime. And then to leave there and to be dropped in the middle of Baltimore City um, and to find housing there, you know, and we were actually getting to a point of begging people for a house, you know, because we had the money, but when they seen the amount of children, they didn't want to rent to us. So, And those pressures are are literally... You're saying those pressures of trying to provide how I'm going to do it, uh, what I'm, how, how I'm going to raise them, what's the right thing to do? Should I bring them to church? Should I not? They can be solved by just one simple choice, which is to leave the choice to God. Yes, having an active relationship, active relationship with God. Yeah, not based on something somebody else says. Yeah. I, and- I see. Something Pastor shared with us yesterday, yesterday, because I mean we're recording this on Thursday, and we uh, had Wednesday service yesterday. But he said our job is to just seek the kingdom. That's right. And he said all these things will be added unto you. He said in another scripture, he said because your father knows you have need of these things. Yes. And when I look at the way that you parented. In the way that I was raised, I was always made aware of what we needed. Yes. But I was always made aware that this was a situation that called for God. Yes. You know how they say, uh, you know, in the cartoons say, this job calls for God, Superman. (laughs) And and this is a job for Superman. He would come as a child. I always 
And, and my sisters and brothers, we were always made aware that when there was a problem, the conversation never deviated from going to God. Yes. And I, I think that as a parent, that's a, that a lot of parents take pride in providing for their children. You know, and if you were to tell them, I'm going to go to my children and tell them, I don't know where the next plate of food is going to come from. Mm-hmm. You know, how is my child going to respect me or trust me? Because they look at it like, this is my job and this is the only job I have. Yeah. In fact, this is not their job. The provision, that provision, he said the natural things. These are the natural things. Food, clothing. Shelter, these are the natural things. He said, don't you know that the Gentiles seek after these things? He said, if you just seek after me. And I know you have need of them. More so than when you was just by yourself. That's right. More so than when it was just you and you needed a place to stay. He knows even more that you need a place because you got a little baby with you. That's right. And I didn't know how I was ever going to be able to provide or look like I can provide for even Suzanne. Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, I left that place. I was back at home. You know, home didn't change. It was still dysfunctional. <laughs> and, you know, I you know, I I I know that my mom and my dad felt they were doing everything possible that they could do to make my life better than theirs. And that was their biggest objective, was to make my life better than theirs. And um, I got home, and every Wednesday I met with my, my, um, my, my social worker, and she took me to visit my daughter at the foster care place. And we thought about, we came up with a plan of action. You know, I had nine more months to finish of school. And that plan of action included... Uh, going to church, I went to the neighborhood Catholic church every morning. I got up, it was 6 o'clock mass, and I did it, you know. I went there, and I really kind of liked it because the emphasis was on, at the 6 o'clock mass, the emphasis was on you getting there, lighting a candle, and talking to God by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I kind of liked that because I was like, okay, I've learned how to talk to him. He seems like he got an ear for me. Mm-hmm. And he's guiding me through this somehow. So I start going, and I can remember um, after lighting my candles, and Brandon, this older lady came and tapped me, and she said, um, I watch you. You've been coming here. And she said, what's your name? And, I, you know, I told her my name and everything. And I didn't tell her much about me uh, as far as I'm having a baby or um, I was living at home. I didn't tell her. I said, she said, would you mind coming to work for me? And, you know, I had thought about the fact you're never going to have your daughter because how are you going to get a job? How are you going to have money? How are you going to get a place to stay? How are you going to do these things? And she said, would you like to come and work for me? So I said, well, what do I need to do? She said, clean, help me clean up. She said, well, actually, you'll be doing all the cleaning, but I'm willing to pay you. I said, man, this is awesome. And she said, you know how to clean? I said, 
sure do, because my mom taught us how to do chores. Did them every day. Yeah. So that was my first, and I took and squirreled away the money. And um, even though, you know, I recognized I was headed on out the door for four years in college, and my dream was that big. And um, as I went to school and I talked with my um, counselor, I said, you know, I can... She said, there are several things you can do. And she said, one of them being you can go to a technical school. And it only, she said, with the grades that you have, you can get in maybe a six to nine month program and you can have a job. And I said, man, this sounds good. It took letting go of something that would have made my parents happy. And what it made you happy? I think I redefined what happiness for me was. And that takes me to the next thing, which is uh, a lot of people are trying to find a way to balance their identity, yeah. their dreams, their aspirations, their desires in the context of a family, of a family and most importantly, of their children. And this is even more so a struggle when you are a single parent. So how do you deal with that? Because a, 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 a mother is not just a mother. Yeah. She's a, she's a woman. Yes. Uh, she sometimes is a wife. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, sometimes she has a career, so then she can have that. But of all of those parts of her identity, how does she find balance? Because because for, for me as a child, all I saw you as is mother. It was when I grew up that I saw that there were different facets of you. But then I saw that there were other parts that you sacrificed. Yes. And, and so how, how do we deal? Because the key word there is sacrifice. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the everything in life? has There is going to be a sacrifice of something. Now, I think that's the problem. Everybody thinks that if I if I sacrifice something that's important to me so that I can have something else, mm-hmm. they feel that that they're not sacrificing something greater for a lesser thing. I don't I, I the way that I see it is Or they're betraying themselves. Yes. The way the way that I see it is in light of now I can take it in light of the scripture because I know the scripture. I didn't really know the scripture back then, mm-hmm. but I can take it in light of the scripture. He said, "Not to think more more highly of yourself than you ought to." Yes. A lot of decisions we make we make very selfishly for ourselves. When God wants to give us only some something greater that only can be given out of sacrifice. See, but and people don't see that, and their response to you would be, "What about me? What about?" Uh, well, <laughs> I think that I can I can say it from the point of having it having it been having it shown to me. If I if I I just I just can look back on it now and see 
every step I made, I didn't think of it as what I was giving up. However, I'm going to be very honest with you. When, <laughs> I, when I hit 28 years old, or yeah, it was about 28 years old. It's like somebody threw a wet blanket on me and said, look at what you sacrificed. Yeah. Look at what you gave up. And it felt like a heavy, heavy burden. And I said, I did. I did give all this up. I said, let me, let me take this. This is, again, this is my, my, my relationship having been put in a position where I lost all confidence in human beings and I have to go back. And the greatest human being I lost confidence in was myself. Mm. Um, A lot of times we say what we are not going to do. And I think getting pregnant at 16 years old, that was a first ever for my family also. My, my, Older sister got pregnant, but she was 19, almost going on 20. She was grown. She was out of school. But it was a first ever for my family. And I lost confidence in Sylvia. I lost confidence in her decision-making process. I lost confidence in her. Um, I had lost confidence in everybody else a long time ago. But the one person that I thought I could depend on was me. And... I definitely lost all confidence in Sylvia because I let all of my dreams, aspirations, everything that I thought that I should be desiring, I let it let it just go. Um, and I didn't think about what my life would look like five years after. I didn't, and and, and yet I had so much confidence in Sylvia, her meditations, her thoughts, her desires. I yeah. had so much confidence in that. And it's it's weird just because it doesn't, it's not a death sentence, even though it is, something is dying. Something did die. But it's not a death sentence to your future. No, no, but it, I'm going to tell you something. It's almost like enlisting in the army. <laughs> because they used to use this thing, go see the world. They wouldn't tell you you're going to fight. They yeah. said, see the world. See the world from a, a very specific <laughs> vantage point. Yes. But they didn't, they didn't, of course they didn't. You see the commercial and they show you all these beautiful places and say, we're looking for a few good men to yeah. go see the world. But they didn't tell you you were going to have to fight. They didn't tell you that you might not come home. And if you did come home, you're going to come home maimed. They didn't tell you any of that yeah. stuff. So that's how. You know, I feel like it was like, come with me. And if you can just allow me to have a relationship with you and talk with you, I'll take care of the rest of it. But I think that that is the reality is when you were saying the whole thing about the confidence is that literally people feel like someone's holding their future hostage. And that someone is yeah. this little baby or these three little babies yes. or for you, seven children holding your future hostage, and, your womanhood hostage, your a freedom yeah. to have opinion and idea. And, and, the, and the crazy thing about it is, is that I think that that's how my parents perceived uh, me having a baby. 
because I think it's still the stigma because they they you know they had arranged for me to go to college in California <laughs> live with my brother yeah you know I mean just look look at this look at the life that you're gonna have yeah it's look. and that's the I think that's the biggest thing is like as a mother no one like like you said the how the army is it's not a draft. Yeah, you didn't wake up one day and somebody left a baby on your doorstep. No, and say you've been drafted to be a mother. You enlisted. Yeah, we. Yeah. That, that's what happened. Yeah, but I don't think that. While I think that, just like the army, someone is selling this in the wrong way. Yeah, I think they're selling children and motherhood. Yeah, in the wrong way. Well, I didn't even recognize it. As being a privilege. Until again, I gained understanding from just listening to the Holy Spirit. I gained understanding. He he let me know. He said, "Children are a gift. I entrust you. I've entrusted. Just think about this. God entrusted a sixteen-year-old, but then He showed me this wasn't the first time I did this." Yeah. He said, this is not the first time, and this won't be the last. And she was grateful. She was grateful, and that's what I became. And she understood. She, she was excited at the opportunity to prove her worthiness to God. Yes. With the responsibility he gave her. And it, there was even then a stigma to it. I know I was, I, and, and I, and I want to say it, I was not Virgin Mary, and this is not how... I didn't have immaculate conception, but God still is the giver of life. And we have to see it the right way. Because, we have to see it the right way. Because there is a stigma painted to it that children will feel. Yes. They will feel like the burden. Yes. They will feel like they are inconveniencing. And they're not an accident. They're not a mistake. They're not any of those things. They're not an interruption to life. They're not. They're a gift from God. And in the midst of a house that was dysfunctional, in the midst of a life that was hopeless, God sent a little three-pound, 13-ounce little girl. <laughs> and guess what? I didn't no more know what to do with her, but I knew that she was a gift. And I knew that somebody no, I had lost the trust of all the people on the earth. But God trusted me. He trusted me to allow him to be seen to this three-pound, 13-ounce little girl. Yeah. And he didn't even allow me to be concerned whether or not um, I would have a relationship with, with my husband. Yeah. At the time, he went on. He went on, he had a, a baseball scholarship. He took his baseball scholarship. He went to college. He went to University of Louisville. He didn't feel the call to give all of that up. He didn't see how he he should have to. He didn't see how he should And have it's a luxury to. that men operate in. But we ain't gonna we ain't gonna yeah, but we'll focus on uh, as far as women is concerned, and being a mother, I think the, you did a great job of just sharing with them. It, it is a responsibility, and one that one must honor 
of respect. And it doesn't include if I get this, if I have my spouse with me, then I'll be a good mother. Yeah. Because I did it's it. It's a good for, point. I did it for a while by myself. Yeah. You know, and a long while, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, because sometimes a, a warm body is not apparent. Yeah, there are. There are a lot of dormant parents. And some people do it for the wrong reasons. Absolutely. They come they take their responsibility like like it's a the heaviest burden in the world. Yeah. And they find no fun in it cuz they don't think of it as being a blessing. Yeah. Or as a privilege. That's my concern is that when you look at a lot of the parents and how they end up in uh just some of the situations that they put their children in for the sake of their own own selves, selves. you and know, whether it be divorce, whether it be just having to endure your moving in a way like your focus and agenda isn't really them. Yeah. And, and kids know that. And they kids, notice it. Kids understand They feel it. it. And, and that's why... This won't be our last conversation talking about motherhood, but I, I do think it was a fitting introduction to it. Yes. Yeah, it's such a big... I wish I could just com- compress it to to um, make it so that it's a one-shot deal, but it's not. Now, it's pretty dense, it, it's, and it's, it's a lot of layers dense. to it, and I think we peel back the first layer yes. and give people something to think about. But in, in light of that, um, to close us out, just... Thinking about women, what's one of the things that you just would like to leave them to make sure that they know as as a sense of encouragement and direction? That the greatest love, I believe the greatest love that God gave to us was the gift of his son. And he used Mary. And as a mother, she came equipped with nothing but a heart to please God. And she even knew that she wasn't raising her child for herself, that her child was being raised to be used by God. She understood that position. I think she probably only understood a little bit of that position as as a 15-year-old. But it became so evident. And I I really do believe that if we would just go to God, he wants to honor us. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's why Jesus took time with his last breaths and said, John, behold thy mother. He honored his mother. And if we just take time, God wants to honor us. Yeah. In that position. And how does he honor us? He strengthens us to know that this is him. Only he can give life. And when we take it lightly, it winds us up in a place of emptiness. Yeah. I think, um, and this ties in with the uh, episode 67, we were talking about the honor roll. And one of the things people don't realize is that God has every intention and desire to honor us. Yeah. And one of the ways that he honors us is by saying the favor of God. Yeah. 
The favor of God is God's honoring us. Yes. And a lot of people don't understand it. In order for God to show you favor, you must show him honor. Yes. One comes before the other. One comes before the other. And, you know, we want God to shine on us in our respective situations. And I want God to honor the mothers. I want him to honor you in your situation. If, if you're a single mother, I want him to bless you and protect you and keep you. But you're going to have to honor him. Yes. You're going to have to put yourself on the back burner. On the back. Put your needs on the back burner. And in the situation he's put you in, honor it. Because it's a setup. It is a setup. I can say, you know, I was something as simple as just um, deciding what I'm going to put on the wall in my office and I'm talking to God and he said most people put up the greatest accomplishments in their office you know they hang their diplomas they hang their their all their appreciation awards and all of that on the wall and I was upstairs and he said you put the children all of the children and so I started getting the pictures together he said because this is how I honored you. And, I, you know, it's just so awesome because that was yesterday's conversation. You know, me and him had a conversation. It was, it was a good one. And he said, this is what you put on the wall. But this is how simple that God wants to show us his character and who he is. But all he wants is an open heart. We trust so many, as women, we trust so many people with our, with our hearts. But we we just put God in a box. Yeah, He just wants it all. That's all. He wants us to to talk about all of it with Him and to trust Him and, and to and trust all. Him, to trust Him to know that He. Guess what? I didn't miss anything. You know, I know that this is going to be a series, but I just want to let you know I have not missed anything. Anything I I have gone through my life and. And I recognize I've worked for some of the most prestigious institutions, having not gone to a four-year college. I've worked for the CIA. I worked for the State Department. And I, not only that, I never tried to work for them. Yeah. I never tried to work for any of those places. And, and I know people say, well, you, you had to try to do it. You know, no, no, according to... This world, I did not try, and I think that's the 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 thing that, and we can and we can end off on this too, is that yeah, you you give up something to be a parent, but what it will provide for you, yes, the places it will take you, ears haven't heard, eyes haven't seen, yes. it's never entered into yes. your heart what God has prepared in the blessing He's given you of yes. being a mother of being a mother. And it's taking you amazing places. Yes, and it has. We we uh, we definitely will be back to talk about it because nothing has suffered by your choice. No, to be a mother. No, your career hasn't suffered. No, it did not move according to time. Everybody else would consider it successful. Yes, but it still provided what others had done. Yes. And I'm always reminded of the scripture that says that he would rather be a doorkeeper. Yes. For the house of God than to dwell in the tents of foolish men. Yeah. 
And the way that you went about all the things that everyone is breaking their necks for, all because you didn't break your neck, you just bent your knee. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Isn't it so easy? <laughs> and you know what? I really take it back. To, he says, when mother and father forsake you, then will I bear you up. Yeah. And guess what? I was forsaken. <laughs> yeah. And so God is so good because nobody, believe it or not, no parent is supposed to have the awesome responsibility on their shoulders of providing. Attending to any anything. Right. Just made, like you said, a simple choice lifts the burden of choice. Yes. And realize that you can't do it. Can't do it. I'm thankful, Mom, that you came on here. We'll do this again. Um, as always, Real Church Matters. We're going to continue the conversation for just a little bit uh, over at Little More Matters. And I encourage you all to, to take advantage of that. God bless.